Okay, so I didn't know if it was well, the same time zone. Nah, Fudge is in about three hours. Yes, yes, same thing over here. We're in the same time zone. Okay, Okay, Sheikh and Tyler. Okay, one second, please. Sure. We are here tonight and we are doing business transactions from outlining fit. All right, so we're in the chapter of Albaya business transactions. Could you recite the general chapter heading, please? And business transactions by capital risk, please? Yes, it's done. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. This is the second major part of FIQ. It's business transactions. At business transactions, write capital risk risk in the FIQ of a slave as he trades to exist. The FIQ of finance is a loftier term for the money we borrow and struggle to earn. Now buying is ba- excuse me, contracts and sharing if profits are made and the techniques to use in the practice of trade. Now buying is bayer in a general sense, but it's contracts and deals that make businessmen tense. No shadikats or partnerships that we can use in seeking risk, and if someone won't pay their debts, then hajj is what we implement. The Adi is a borrowed source, while gossip is to take by force. By, by its agreement, slaves are freed and will get blessings for good deeds. Okaf are called the public gifts, endowments, and or scholarships. Wasaya are the wills we leave, the ones we love, our legacies. Farah makes inheritance, the last show of beneficence. So those with taqwa seek to deal, and only con men seek to steal. And so the first chapter in that is Al-Bayah. So the chapter itself, the general chapter heading is called Al-Bayah, which is business transactions. And then the very first chapter is also in this is called Al-Bayah. And it tells you in the, in the general chapter that there are out, nine outlines that we're going to run through. Okay. So here, the first one is Al-Bayah. Al-Bayah means to buy and sell, and business transactions have rules as well. Ten specifics are defined, conditions we must bear in mind. Options, interest, roots, and fruit, because bad transactions don't compute. So that's where we're at tonight. We're at the prohibited trade transactions. Go ahead and start that, please, on page 34. Go ahead. Yes, sir. We are on page 34 of a summary of Islamic jurisprudence by Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan. And I begin with the chapter title, Prohibited Trade Transactions, Chapter 2. Allah has made trade permissible for his servants as long as it does not cause them to miss what is more useful and much, and much important, such as an obligatory act of worship. Trade is also permissible as long as it does not cause any harm to others. It is impermissible for a Muslim upon whom the Jumu'ah, Friday prayer is obligatory to buy or sell after its second call, after its second prayer call, Adhan, for Allah, exalted be he, says what translated may mean. 
O you who have believed, when the Adhan is called for the prayer on the day of Jumu'ah, then proceed to the remembrance of Allah and leave off trade. That is better for you if you only knew. Quran, Surah Al-Jumu'ah, Ayah number 9. Thus Allah, glorified and exalted be He, has prohibited trade when the, when the prayer call for the Jumu'ah Friday prayer is declared, lest Muslims should be too busy with trade to attend the prayer. Okay, one second. So in this issue, some of the people understood this to mean that it is prohibited for Muslims who have to go and offer salah to take part in business transactions. But if it is a Muslim lady and she is not obligated to go to Jumu'ah, some of the people say, well, then it's not haram for her because Jumu'ah is not an obligation upon her. And others said, if it's a Muslim who owns the business, then it's still haram for him because he's still doing business during the time of Juma. And others said, but if he hires a kafir to work for him during the, the Juma, then he can still do business. And of course, they say that if the person is, is, is traveling and there's no Juma obligation for him, then he can also do business transactions. I say that this is all circumstantial. Because it depends on where the person is when he's doing the business and when the time for Jumu'ah comes. Of course, if the person is traveling and is on the road or at the airport or one of the ports where you know, the travel is going for, then there's no problem for him to conduct business because he's on a transport or on the road or something like that. But if he's in town, Okay, he's in town and he's not moving on his way out of town or coming directly, just made it into town. But he's traveled to a particular city and there's nothing prohibiting him from going to Jumu'ah. Then it is upon him to go to Jumu'ah. It is wajib for him to go to Jumu'ah. And he's only excused from going to Jumu'ah while traveling is when it's a hardship for him due to the circumstances of the travel. And uh, his business is only allowed when that's also part of him traveling. You know what I'm saying? That, that part of that circumstances of him traveling. But if he traveled to a place and he's not traveling anywhere, he's not moving or going out outside of the town, and he's just there, then he has to go to Juma as well. And he cannot do business during the Juma time. Does that make sense? No, I'm sure it makes sense. How does this ruling... How does this ruling change, or does it change when there are multiple Jumu'ah shifts held in, in the city the person is in? That even, alhamdulillah, that makes it even easier for him to go to Jumu'ah. Okay? So, the, the Jumu'ah that is most available to him is the one that he's supposed to go to. Okay? Um, well, or, yeah, the one he's supposed to go to. He's not supposed to uh, skip Jumu'ah. And I, I, I want to be careful how I say it. He can go to a Juma in a different place, even if it's further from his house and between him and that other Juma is as a, as a Juma masjid. See, in the United States, we don't have what we call Juma masjids as much. In places like uh, Mecca, you have some masjid, they don't open on Juma day. They're locked. And they're only open during the week. Uh, except for on the time for Juma, because they're a, 
and ease for the locals so they can come out of Salah closely to their home or Musallah and then they'll go back home within five minutes. Okay? And that facilitates them to go to, to go to the Jama'ah. Now in Juma though, only the large community masjids are open. The larger ones, the ones that cover the whole community, that neighborhood, whole one. So, uh, if he wants to skip that one and go to the Kaaba, for example, he can do that. Okay? In America, it's the same thing. Because not only do we have fewer masajid, we have masjid with different denominations, with different ideas. And so he wants, the person wants to go to the masjid that is from the people of the Sunnah. And so he could skip the one that he thinks is not going to give him the same benefit and go to the one that's a little further away, as long as he can make it there in time for Jumu'ah. doesn't change his obligation, but in fact, it, it makes it, and it facilitates for him his, uh, uh, the ability for him to go to Juma. I hope that answers your question. If not, ask it again. No, that answers the question. So he should choose a he should choose a, a Juma first of all that's more convenient for him or more beneficial for him, and then <coughs> he should base he should base his his business dealings like he should base his closing time or his 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 schedule around that. Yes, he should he should just like you said. Let's say I decided I want to go to the message. Okay, right here in my house here I have. I have four masjids right around me right now. I can walk to all four of them. One of them is a community masjid that's open on Juma. The other, uh, or two of them, I should say. In between the two that are community masjid are two other masjids. One is a musalla, one is a, a masjid. The one that's a masjid is known as a Sufi masjid. Okay? So the Sufi masjid is close to the largest Sunni Masjid in the neighborhood, and it's considered the Juma, the default Juma Masjid. When I go to regular Salah, I walk past the Sufi Masjid. I walk past it, I walk past it, it's close to my home. And I just cross the street and go to the other Masjid. I gave the time that I have to go to the Masjid based on the time it takes me to go to the, the, the larger Masjid that I prefer to go to. And I don't judge it on the time that I have to go to the Sufi Masjid. Okay? Now, they're not severe, you know, deviants or anything, but I prefer to go to the other Masjid. That, to me, is my choice. So I have to gauge all my timings on the Masjid that I know that I'm going to. Okay? No, I'm sure. Now, to continue... Thus, Allah, glorified and exalted be he, has prohibited trade when the prayer call for the Jumu'ah Friday prayer is declared, lest Muslims should be too busy with trade to attend the prayer. Allah has mentioned trade in particular as it is one of the most important worldly activities that occupy people's times, as most people earn their living through trade. This divine prohibition implies that trade is prohibited and invalid at such a time when the Jumu'ah prayer is due. Then Allah glorified and exalted be Okay, so so this this is this is why 
This implication, this, this divine prohibition implies that trade is prohibited and invalid at such a time. This statement is the statement why, why the, the ulama say that even if it is a Muslim woman, even if it's a kafir, you know, the businesses should be shut down at the time of Jumu'ah. Ihtiraman lis-salah, out of respect for the salah, right? Making that moment, that miqat, because it's a miqat, it's a moment, doesn't come back. Okay? So, at that moment, the salah times, and when the people are stopped, they should stop everything, even if it's, uh, what do you call it, from non-Muslims. And also for this reason, we find that we're told to take our children out of school, even if they're not obligated to offer salah. Out of respect and training them to sanctify. Right? And who aggrandizes and makes it sacred from the things of Allah, the, the, the rituals that we have to do. So this is why we say no, it's the woman and children, the kafir and everyone who is under Muslim control should be shut down at Jumu'ah time and at the times of the Salah, the daily Salah. And, and why shouldn't they? We know also that when those of us who went to American schools, that we got out of school early on Wednesday sometime. Why? Because of the Catholics. And they had mass on that day. At least in, in those Catholic heavy in, um, environments like New York. So we learned their dean that way as well. Okay? We know that on Fridays, the subways, they put more subways out so that at rush hour, so that the Jewish people could get to the synagogue before Maghrib and start their Passover, or their Sabbath, I should say. We learned that being in their environment. Being in this, so they're accommodating them. Islam should be accommodated. Okay, so start again with uh, this divine prohibition. This divine prohibition implies that trade is prohibited and invalid at such a time when the Jumu'ah prayer is due. Then Allah glorified and exalted be He says what may mean that, referring to leaving trade and attending the Jumu'ah prayer is better for you than being occupied with trade, if you only knew your own good and interests. Likewise, it is prohibited for a Muslim to be occupied with any worldly activity, not only trade, at the due time of Jumu'ah prayer. Okay, we see people come to the Jumu'ah, and they have their phones, okay? And they're sitting in the masjid, and they're texting or they're doing something on their phone. They're doing business in the masjid. And in general, you shouldn't go inside the masjid for those particular type of things. You should do that stuff outside the masjid and come to the masjid and focus solely on the ibadah. That's what the building is, is for. Right? So here it's shown again it's prohibited for Muslim to be occupied with any other worldly activity, not just trade. Or so that not just trade means that they're in there talking to your wife or talking to your friend, these type of things on the phones or the mobile devices and things like that at the due time of the Juan Salah.
Go ahead. It is impermissible for Muslims as well to let trade or any other worldly activity divert them from establishing obligatory prayers after hearing the prayer call. Allah, exalted be he, says what translated may mean. Such niches are in houses, i.e. mosques, which Allah has ordered to be raised, and that his name be mentioned, i.e. praised therein, exalting him within them in the morning and the evenings. Are men whom neither commerce nor sale distracts from the remembrance of Allah and performance of prayer and giving of zakat. They fear a day in which the hearts and eyes will fearfully turn about, that Allah may reward them according to the best of what they did and increase them from his bounty. And Allah gives provision to whom he wills without account, i.e. limit. Quran, Surah okay. Tanur, Ayah 36-38. Okay, Alhamdulillah, when he says such niches, he's talking about the mihram. So the masjid is distinguished from other places as that place, that rounded off area in the front where the imam stands. That's the, 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 what they call a niche. And it was invented by the Muslims, let's say Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, I'm sorry, Muawiyah, and those like that. When the, <coughs> when the Bataniya, when those uh, enemies of Islam came to the Persians mostly and, and, and pretended to be Muslims and stood in the ranks and stabbed Uthman, I'm sorry, stabbed Umar ibn al-Khattab, right? And stabbed Uthman and Ali, okay? So, they stabbed Umar and they stabbed Ali when they were leading the Salah. Afterwards, the Imams made a niche in the front of the masjid so that he could be protected from two sides. And then directly behind him, they put the most knowledgeable person, number one. And usually that is the Mu'adhan after the Imam. And usually two guards on the right and the left. So that he's protected in this way. And that became the, the niche. So it's interesting that it's mentioned in the Quran as these niches. Because as a practice, the mihrab is any place. Before they made it at that rounded place in front of the masjid. It was any place in your house that you designated for salah. <coughs> the designated area. And people were told to the sahaba were told to choose a particular place in their house where they would offer their sunan salah and their, their, their nighttime prayers. And that was called their mihra or their niche. So those are the two different ones that we have. So go ahead. I'm sorry. And then you paused here. You said, exalting him within them in the morning and the evening are men. That's, a, that's an incorrect thing they put. There shouldn't be a period there. It should those who are praising him and saying subhanallah are men. That's, who, that's what he's praying. There are men inside those places whom neither commerce, trade, or selling anything is distracting them from the dhikr Allah. Because sometimes people are looking for you know, the most effective way to make money. And 
you know, they want to do it all the time so they can get the good deals and stuff like that, make more money. But they do this at the expense of their deed and their remembrance of Allah. So Allah is saying that there are men in these masajid who are not distracted from the remembrance of Allah. They're not letting business distract them from that. Okay? <coughs> Continue. Um. It is also illegal to sell anything which can be used for disobeying Allah and committing a sin. To illustrate, it is illegal to sell certain fruit juices to whoever uses them for making intoxicants, as this would be cooperation and sinning. Allah, exalted be he, says, but do not co- says what translated means, but do not cooperate in sin and aggression. Quran, Surah Al-Ma'idah, Ayah 2. This kind of sale is considered cooperation in aggression. Similarly, it is illegal to sell weapons, armaments, and munitions at the time of dissension among Muslims, lest they might be used for killing Muslims. The Prophet ﷺ prohibited Muslims to do so. And Allah, exalted be he, says what translated means, but do not cooperate in sin and aggression. Quran, Surah Al-Ma'idah, Ayah 2. In this connection, Ibn al-Qayyim said, All legal proofs demonstrate that the validity, legality, and permissibility of a sale are also affected by intentions and usage. For example, one is prohibited from selling someone a weapon if one knows that he would use it for killing a Muslim, as this is considered cooperation in sin and aggression. However, if a Muslim sells a weapon to someone who fights in the cause of Allah, it is considered for the seller a sign of obedience and devotion to Allah. On the other hand, it is impermissible to sell weapons to those who fight Muslims or those who use them for highway robbery, as this is regarded as cooperation in sin. Okay, so here, this is a very important rule, and I'm glad that we took this first. Because we see this today. In order to make a profit, people sell to whoever they can get money from. And they don't care about what that person is going to do with that business transaction. So not only can you not sell the enemies of Islam, the killers, weapons, you can't sell them goods that would help it and make it easy for them to kill the Muslims. So this talk that we have nowadays with whether Muslims should boycott and these things like that. No, it's not an issue of boycott. It's an issue of canceling. Muslims should cancel any deal and any contract that they make with kufar. And when they know those kufar are using the profits from that, are using the benefits of that sale in order to facilitate in the killing and the oppression of other Muslims. And this is very important because it is a tactic of war. When the Muslims refuse to sell to people who are killing and oppressing Muslims, you don't have to go to a physical war because the economics itself would shut down those kufar. And so again, this is the better way to follow the the Sharia as if we followed it it would prevent more harm from happening and shut it down in the easiest way without having more harm. 
from like let's say physical jihad, we have to go there and actually kill them for what they are doing to the believers. I hope that makes sense. At the same time, you're not on a daily sale. You don't have to ask the person to say you sell coffee. What are you going to drink? What are you going to do after you drink this coffee? Are you going to go make zilla? What are you going to do after you drink this coffee? Are you going to go rob a bank? You know, you don't have to ask them questions like that. It's only when you know their intentions, okay? And you don't have to research it. Go ahead. Nah. Muslims are not permitted as well to cancel the sales of one another. For example, a Muslim seller may say to a customer who has paid 10 pounds for an item from another seller, I can sell you a similar piece for only 9 pounds, or I can sell you a better one for the same price. This is prohibited, but the Prophet ﷺ said, what may mean you must not try to cancel the sales of one another. This is compiled by al-Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ also said, a Muslim must not try to cancel the sales of his Muslim brother. Compiled by al-Bukhari and Muslim. Again, Likewise, this is well known. It's well known that a person going to another one and, and jumping into his sale and saying, yo, look, I got, I got it for $3. He's selling it for five. I got it for 3 This is cause for animosity amongst sellers as well. You know, and it's a very petty trifling act that shows no character. No, not a high character. A very trifling character. And this is not befitting of brothers. You would not do that to someone you considered your brother. You would say to Abarakullah, mashallah. Go ahead. No. Likewise, it is impermissible for Muslims to cancel the purchases of one another. For instance, a Muslim buyer may say to a seller who has sold another Muslim a commodity for nine pounds, I can buy it for 10 pounds or the like. Nowadays, many a prohibited trade transaction like the aforementioned ones occurs in the minds of Muslims. So a true Muslim must avoid such violations, forbid them and show disapproval of those who commit them. Among the prohibited trade transactions is that made by a town dweller on behalf of a desert dweller. For the prophet. Okay, before you go, it said, before, I'm sorry. Before you go, it says, so a true Muslim must avoid such violations, forbid them, and show disapproval of those who commit them. The last part is what I'm referring to, and show disapproval of those who commit them. This is if it's your friend. You, you have a friend, a companion, and and for the record, a friend and a companion are two different things. But he does this type of thing, and you witness him doing this, or you know he does it, or he tells you that he does it. You should understand that if he does it to others, he will do it to you. And so this is why you should show disapproval of it. person that does this, canceling the other person's transactions, this is something he does and will continue to do to everyone around him because he shows he has no concern with anyone but himself. And so that's why you should disapprove it. Go ahead. Next. Nam. Among the prohibited trade transactions is that made by a town dweller on behalf of a desert dweller. For the Prophet ﷺ said, a town, what translated may mean, a town dweller should not trade on behalf of a desert dweller. Ibn Abbas 
radiallahu anhu commenting on this hadith, he said what may mean. It means that a, he, a town dweller, should not act as his, a desert dweller's broker. The Prophet also said what translated means, leave the people alone. Allah will give them provision from one another. Thus, a town dweller is prohibited to sell or buy on behalf of a desert dweller. In fact, what is prohibited is that a town dweller goes to a desert dweller and offers his service to buy or sell something on his behalf. Yet it becomes permissible only if the desert dweller is the one who comes to the town dweller asking him to buy or sell on his behalf. Okay, so we see this in international markets a lot of time. Uh, not just in the Muslim world, but in the, the Catholic world too. And the, the point here is that one person is naive and the other one knows. So the person who knows is the town dweller. He knows who sells what. He gets kickbacks. He goes to the people who come to town. Listen, I got, what you looking for? What you looking for? They say, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. Where can I get it? Okay, let me help you. And he takes them to his friends. He takes them where he's going to get a profit from. Not what's in the best interest to the, 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 the Bedouin, the, the people from the outside, the country person. But where he's going to get a benefit from selling it to whoever he wants to sell it to. Okay? So this is he's looking out for his own interests and interests of his constituents. He's not looking at for the interests of the other person, the, the person from out of town. And also, because he doesn't know the prices, he doesn't know the qualities, he's going to be taken advantage of. And the lost messenger said, leave people alone. Allah will give them the provisions from one another. Meaning, let the tawakkal Allah. The birds get food. The birds every morning wake up and they, can't, they don't have a refrigerator. But they go out there and they strive and they go home with full bellies. There's a miracle from the miracles of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we're not birds. We're better than birds, inshallah, in that we've been given this khilaf. So let him go ahead. He'll figure it out. He'll talk to whoever he wants to talk to and he'll get what he needs from just doing it himself. But if he seeks out a person to do it for him, there's nothing wrong on the person doing it if he's asked to. Okay? So you have to watch out who brokers your deals. Because they normally go for their own interests. Continue. Now, nah, Sheikh, uh, one, one thing we see here in Philippines is that when you drive towards an area which has like a tourist attraction, like resorts along the, along the beach or like, uh, great, great picking or something like that, as you approach that area, you'll see people, guys on motorcycles hanging out by the road. Uh, with signs for that thing. And then if you, if you stop, then they'll tell you, oh, you're looking for grape picking? Yeah, follow me. I'll take you to, I'll take you to grape picking. And they, and then you follow them and they take you where they want to take you. Is that, is that, is that, um, would that be an example of this, this practice? It is exactly that. It is exactly that. Because they're taking you to the place where they're going to get a kickback. Okay? They're taking you to the place where they've already made a deal with. You didn't make a deal with them, okay? Now, if you trust them, you say, okay, I want to go over there. Let me go find one of those guys to take me someplace. I don't know which one is best. I'll tr trust, talk to Allah, and just find which one of those guys on the road that does it. 
then okay, it's permissible for them at that time because you, that's your intention. But if you want to go, you should go and try to figure it out. Or you can go and go figure it out for yourself. You're not obliged to follow them, and it may not be wise. And Allah knows best. Okay, but that is exactly what's being said here. They do it in a lot of places, not just that form. Um, online, people say, let me broker a deal for you. Let me do this and let me do that for you. And, of course, sometimes there's a fee. They'll take you to the place and say, okay, I'll take you there. Can, can you, you know, give me some money? And you got to give me this, that, and the other thing. So, that, you know, there's always something. Continue. Now, another type of prohibited trade is that called ina in which a seller sells a commodity on credit to a buyer and then buys it from him at the same price at the same time at a lower price for example a trader sells a car for 20,000 pounds on credit then buys it from the same man who just bought it for 15,000 pounds cash thus the original buyer owes the seller 20,000 pounds to be paid at the due time this kind of selling is prohibited as it is mere fraud and one of the forms of rebate. In this way, a seller sells a sum of money on credit for another one in cash, making the commodity just a means of fraud. The Prophet ﷺ said, what translated means, if you sell to one another with ina, hold the tails of cows, i.e. become occupied with worldly gains, become pleased with agriculture, and give up jihad, fighting in the cause of Allah, Allah will make disgrace prevail over you and will not withdraw it until you return, i.e. adhere to your religion. Okay, he, so, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead, complete it. He, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, also said what may mean there will come a time when people consider riba lawful by means of trade. Which is now. We have this, this, this mentality is now. That people believe that trade, any business, demands riba, and you cannot do trade without doing riba. And the reason why, in some cases, you can't do trade without riba is because everybody believes that you can't, because they've been told that by the kufar you're not allowed to do it except for with riba. And so instead of making our own systems that are riba-free, as long as you use their systems, yes, they're going to have riba in those systems. But nothing is preventing you. It's not illegal for you to make your own system that is not river, that is not river-based. So this is uh, a type of jihad itself. But Muslims have become lazy and compliant with just following whatever the kufar give us and then saying there's no other way. Here we're talking about ina. This is a, uh, when I was a young al this was a huge subject with Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Muqbil al-Hadi from Yemen. He was always explaining this particular hadith. Selling to one another with Ina holding the tails of cows. And it's like you just, he describes here. You buy a commodity on credit. It's on paper. You just write a piece of paper and say, hey, I'm going to give you this car for $20,000. Okay, so now You've made a deal where you owe this guy $20,000. And then the next day you come back and say, you know what? No, I don't want this car. Let me sell it to you. He says, well, I'm only going to buy it for $15,000. Okay? I'm not paying $20,000 for that car. So then 
he gives you 15000 Right? Now, you still got to pay for the car because you bought it with credit. How much you got to give him? You still got to give him another extra 5000 So you really didn't take anything. It was a way for you to get a RIBA loan of $15,000. You just used the car as a way to pretend like you bought something and you gave it back. You know? No. It's a game. What's different than you went to that same man and said, loan me $15,000. He says, okay, but you're going to owe me 5000 on the loan. This is nothing different. Except they tried to play a game. They're trying to trick Allah and those who believe, but Allah tricks them. And they're not tricking anybody but themselves. Okay? So, this is prohibited. And it's, a, it's just fraud. And another way that you will see today is selling money on credit or another one in cash. So <coughs> you sell this, this money, sometimes the online game, you know, you, you buy money on credit. And then when you sell it, you're getting the cash back from it. You never had it. You never even received it. Okay, it's just a, it's just a game people are playing. Does that make sense? People are just playing games. It's, it's just, nothing has transferred hand. Nah, Jake. What's an example of one of these online games? It's the one that they. What is the? I don't know the name of the, the thing. Let me see. No, I, I, I wiped my computer, so I don't have it on my computer now. Uh, I'll describe it. The stock market. Okay? Where in the stock market, you're buying something. Let's say I buy it at 6 o'clock. I don't have to pay to the end of the day. Does that make sense? Six. Seven, yeah. Let's say the stock market opens at 9 o'clock. I open them to my New York Stock Market Exchange. At 9.03, I buy uh, some rice, rice stock at $100. Let's say, give me $200 of that stock, all right? And they say, okay, by the end of the day, you have to pay it. Now, at 3 o'clock, I sell it for $500, okay? I took my $200, and I sell it for $500. Did I give up any money? No. Okay, and then at five o'clock, I, I mean, on four thirty, I sell it for five hundred dollars. Five o'clock comes, they give me my five hundred dollars. Did I come out the pocket? No, I sold. I bought one on credit, sold it for the same thing for cash. This is an example. Nah, it makes that makes sense. I understand. Nothing has passed hands. It's a whole big bunch of noise and nothing is actually done. Playing games with people. Go ahead, continue. This is the end of the chapter, and there's the end notes. Okay, read the end notes, please. Okay. I'll read it, I'll read it, I'll read it. End notes. Zakat is an annual expenditure for the benefit of the Muslim community, primarily to help the poor, Required from the Muslims, those Muslims who have 
Okay, they call this excess wealth, and I, I told you I don't like that term. It's not excess wealth. It's wealth that, ex, that goes above the poverty line, okay? And those who are below the poverty line do not have to pay zakat. That's what it is, not excess wealth. It's where Allah has descri- determined for us where the poverty line is. And those who are impoverished do not have to pay. Those who are not impoverished have to pay according to the degree that they have over the poverty line. Okay? Paying zakat is one of the five main pillars of Islam. And you'll see more about this in the chapter of zakat. They are talking about Ibn al-Qasim's book, Al-Rawdat al-Murabbi'ah. Okay, Murabbi'ah. And he's just talking about a, a Hanbali book of fiqh. And the rest is just from Bukhari and Muslim. And he says, Riba is a term that includes usury and usurious gain and interest. And so to understand clearly the, what riba is, you have to study the concept of usury. And that's outside of the scope of the lesson today. But it should be a, a subject that you look up in the, the law dictionaries, Black's Law's dictionary, and to see the, the definition of usury and how it was illegal for many, many years amongst the Christian population. And actually the only ones that would, were doing it were the, the Jewish people to others. And everywhere, and the Mongols also did it when they started to accept it. It destroyed every society that it was done in. Okay? And one of the main things that took down the Mongols was their practice of usury. So if you, if you do a nice little brief history on usury, it would benefit you to understand it has never benefited a society. And it's just weird that anyone would think that it has any benefit whatsoever, when historically it never has. Okay? It's a temporary gain for the, for the individual. At any rate, this is where we have to stop that. If there's any other questions, you can go ahead and ask as we have a few more minutes. Bismillah. Shaykh, I don't have any questions at this time. Barakallahu feekum. Naam, alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair. And Subhanahu, do you have any questions? Assalamu alaikum. Naam, Shaykh. I do not. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Barakallahu feekum. Wa'alaikumullah. Wa-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.